Hey there. Thank you for listening to Pod of Jake. I'm Jake. You can reach me anytime by emailing jake at blogofjake.com. You can also DM me on Twitter at 0FJake. I always love to hear from fans of the podcast, and your support of the show means a lot to me. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by AG1, the best foundational nutrition supplement on the market. You may have heard about AG1 by now and already decide you want to try it. If that's the case, go to drinkag1.com slash podofjake and order your first pack now. If you're not familiar, AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement with 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food-sourced ingredients to support whole body health. I started drinking AG1 a couple of years ago because it seemed like the most high-quality, cost-effective way to get the vitamins and nutrients I need. Now I drink it almost every day before I eat or drink anything else besides water. It tastes good, makes me feel great, and sets the tone for a healthy day, all for about $3 a day. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1, and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash podofjake. That's drinkag1.com slash p-o-d-o-f-j-a-k-e. Check it out. Thank you, Masha, for coming on and joining me on the podcast today. It's great to be able to speak with you. Uh, You are the founder and general partner of Day One Ventures, uh, and you've had quite an unusual journey to where you are today and uh, becoming a venture capitalist, investing in startups. So I think uh, the best place to get started would be for those who don't know you, uh, if you could sort of tell your story from as early as you're willing to start to where you are today and talk about some of the key moments and uh, decisions that you made along the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be on podcast. You had so many people I really respected as your guests. And it's a big honor to be speaking with you. Thank you. Um, I think uh, as you asked me this question, I was like thinking, what is like a common line? Uh, if you look back on my story, and I think um, one of like common lines is that the story would probably not existed if social media networks didn't appear in the time when I was a teenager. And I think since I was almost like 16, 17, social media networks is something that's been influencing my life and my career in the major way. Uh, when um, I was activist, uh, when I was in school, and then I started um, business and public administration in university and around the age of 18, uh, it was a rise of social networks like Facebook, Twitter, and me and a few friends of mine, we created social media agencies that grew to uh, quite big size, uh, 70 employees and a few dozens of clients in less than half a year. And it was like my first business project, and that's where I learned lots of skills that I'm using day to day right now. And um, at the same time, and probably from this moment and onwards, um, social networks started bringing different people in my life and changing my career in different ways. When I was 20 on Twitter, I met uh, Serge Bell, who is entrepreneur. He founded more than 30 companies. He's doctor of computer science. Um, three of the companies that he founded by the time we met in 2010 became unicorns, parallels. Um, they invented parallels with software Mac solutions that allowed to run Windows on Mac that sold in every Apple store in the world. They cre- he created a company called Acronis, which is data protection company with 
as cybersecurity data protection backup with 700,000 um, B2B customers and millions of B2C customers and all over the world that's uh, $3.5 billion and backed by BlackRock and Goldman. And I worked for, after my first business, I worked for five years with Serge and I was head of comms at his company called Runa Capital, which is VC fund that invests in deep tech and B2B focused companies and support them. And after that, I worked for his data protection company, Acronis, um, where I was head of communications and marketing and was responsible for uh, generating brand awareness and the flow for um, the um, sales and for the uh, for their 200 million, more than $200 million um, in revenue. And that was like quite interesting um, operator experience. And when I left Acronis, I started having lots of early stage companies coming to me for PR. And as I had a very small team in the beginning, I didn't even structure it as a team immediately. I just had like few other PR people I chose to work together. And I had started getting hundreds of startups coming for PR because tech had been becoming more and more competitive and companies been quickly realized without media and without uh, publicity, they wouldn't be able to create any um, growth. Um, um, I started getting these clients and chose only 30 companies between 2014 and 2017. And as we were working with them, nine of them became unicorns. That was very high hit rate. So I started quickly realizing, on the same time, I started realizing that PR agency, PR studio model, when you basically get paid for your work, but um, your client, uh, but not rather for your time you spend working for the clients more than for PR results and actual value you brought to their business, I started feeling lots of misalignment between PR agency as a business genre, value I'm bringing, and my relationship with companies I'm working with, while on the same time recognizing that lots of companies I'm picking to work together with becoming really big in a short amount of time. So what happened is I decided to change the structure. Um, on the one hand, I realized the value with media work that I'm providing for our companies is really meaningful. On the other hand, I truly saw that the structure should change. So I became angel investors. That's angel invested in a number of companies between 2016 and 17. And um, right now I can look back and it's already this angel portfolio is already for people familiar with this term, this uh, it's already returned 11 times um, money on paper and it's returned 15 times, um, 15x as a portfolio on paper and 11x in cash. And um, so it's more mature and that's how I started journeying towards day one. Uh, so it was quite successful in 2018, I started day one and uh, created the firms that which are the first firms that invest in early stage tech companies and support them with communications. And we truly believe that communications and work with publicity is something that can drive lots of value for early stage companies that by creating brand awareness for early stage tech brands, we help them with sales, with hiring, with fundraising. And it's one of the most important things that company can do in early stage in order to speed up the growth. And this model found lots of success um, we managed to build very serious deal flow from founders. I think by now we get around two to two and a half thousand projects coming to us every month for investment and PR. The model work in the way that we invest in companies and then we do all media work free of charge. We create messaging, we create strategy, and we lead media outreach. And as a result, companies that work with us get 
um, press articles written about them and top tier media outlets from New York Times, Wall Street Journal to Forbes, um, TechCrunch, the information, and as well as more niche brand names. Um, and we had many cases when PR work was leading to a new round of funding. We had many cases when PR work led to important partnerships and hires and um, big um, spikes in company revenue growth. Uh, in 2020, we started Fund 2. We raised 50 million for the fund. And after that, we raised around 30 million as PV. So overall, we have around $100 million under management. I run firm as solo GP while uh, the rest half of my team is investment professionals and another half of my team, uh, PR teams that's focused on supporting companies with PR and comms work. And overall, I backed early eight unicorns and fund backed early six unicorns on early stages and fund had 17 exits to date. We fully returned fund one with profits and three years after we started, which was really fast and uh, which basically outperformed 50 times by results, any other early average early stage firm that's had the same vintage as our first fund, uh, which is early result, but something that's been very promising. And we just keep realizing this vision. I think a bit later in podcast, I can speak a little bit about how I would develop and further the vision of the firm as a fund that supports companies with communication and how like I see next like five, 10 years and how we expand these areas of support to other industries great well uh, thank you for that introduction and for telling your story um it's a very interesting journey that you've taken and uh, i think it's resulted in a very interesting firm that has a much different sort of value proposition than most venture capital firms out there especially as a um you know solo gp and uh sounds like you have obviously you have 100 million dollars managed between your funds like you mentioned and it sounds like you have a tremendous amount of deal flow to get through as well um, so those two things tend to add to a uh, pretty positive formula, I think, in the business. But um, you mentioned that uh, I think your portfolio of, you know, when you were doing the angel investing before day one, has like it's 15x, it's up 15x on paper. But more impressively, even I think you've already returned 11 times uh, the cash. So like DPI for those familiar with the metrics, um, that's fairly unusual uh, amount of success. And this is just sort of as you were getting started as an angel investor alongside your PR work, you mentioned sort of it seemed to be a better uh, incentive alignment than just getting paid for your time. And that makes a lot of sense. But um, you know, to what do you attribute this early success with, you know, dipping your your toes in angel investing? Like, especially, you know, at that point, you're taking on clients to do the PR work. And I imagine your angel investments are sort of resulting out of that. So are you being like extremely selective with the clients that you take on? And how are you deciding, you know, who those clients are? I'm just curious how that early, you know, your first steps into angel investing were so remarkably successful. Well, I think uh, there isn't really true. I think the first reason is that when I was 20 and I transitioned from being co-founder of uh, my own social media agency to being executive working with very successful founder is something like I got very lucky with. And for the first five years of my career, on like probably like first serious job and the only job when I worked for someone, I had the chance to work for a very successful founder. And um, I don't know like too many people who are 
serial founders of multi-billion companies and who's like truly self-made entrepreneur. And I think for the first five years of my career, I adjusted to particular pace, to particular very ambitious way of thinking, to be around someone who is a visionary and who at the same time capable to bend universe anyways possible and needed when he has this vision. Right. And once I was exposed to the work and I was really close with my boss, we could work from like the same room for weeks. Right. And I had a chance to understand lots of things about business that PR person normally don't have a chance to understand. So when it came to me, like doing PR for companies, I knew so much background about the work that he does. And I could ask him so many questions. about, And I was always like very curious, so many questions about business. So every time I pitch reporter, I would speak about business essence and I'm not native English speaker. So maybe my language is not perfect, but at the same time, I do um, ask questions that just make sense from business perspective. Right. And once I, I stopped working with this successful founder, I just was maybe like unconsciously looking for people who would be as fast, as intense, as passionate and as smart as this founder. And I wasn't ready to work for anyone who is less um, strong as a founder than my first boss. So I think I naturally started adjusting and trying to meet someone like who's like as talented, as good, as fast, right? As my first boss, because any other work experience wouldn't be satisfying for me, right? And uh, that kind of like narrowed down um spectrum of clients that i would even start speaking with right and then on the same time and it's not about like experience it's just more about like personal traits and just like level of intensity level of passion level of conviction ability of person to be visionary right um uh, and the two i spend um i worked for this founder first at his bc firm called runa capital and then at acronis which is data production company but First um, few years with him, I spent working for VC Fund and we had a very small team. I think at the beginning it was like five or six people where I think I was one of like two people that's not partners, but we were so such a small firm and I was able to learn from very experienced, very smart people. And I had an exposure to VC early on. And while mm -hmm. I was in PR role, I was able to also source some companies like ClassPass on early stage, which my boss was invested in and wrote down the first check and uh, some other companies that first went public. So I think I did really gain some skills while being in VC firm, even though finding and scouting for companies wasn't my direct responsibility. And so when it came to making the angel investments alongside your PR studio work, were, were those mostly in clients or you were seeking companies to invest in outside of your PR work? How did those two sort of uh, entangle? I think it was always like, um, I think I had like a very, very big flow inbound and uh, just was forced to be very selective because I couldn't hire like 30 PR people, good quality PR people in short amount of time. And um, I think as it came to angel investments, lots of companies that came to me, they actually came for PR. And um, I ended up not uh, charging them, but putting money in them and supporting them as clients. But on the same time, some other companies that I worked with, like um, I did early investment in Truebill. We found them on Product Hunt and I reached out to the company and it was probably my third angel investment. 
And it was second angel investment. I wasn't even like sure how can I ask to, how can I invest in your company? And I think I was like saying something like, look, like I really, really like what you do and I would love to invest in your company, but I don't even know what I should say. <laughs> so you make allocation for me. So make it easy for me. He's like, okay, let me talk to my co-founder. And it worked out. And uh, many years after company, we invested like 15 million cap as angel. And then I reinvested from the fund and supported them with PR all these years. And uh, 2021, they exited for 1.4 billion company, uh, for 1.3 billion exit, uh, being sold to Rocket Money. And I just, Today, so like YC, highest revenue company, and Truebill is literally standing near Stripe in terms of um, level of revenue of the company. And so some of that I just like found online. And I think, again, like meeting people online, finding people online, just seeing something attracting my attention. Like I saw online my <laughs> former boss, right? Like I met so many founders that we back from day one. It's something that just um, opportunities that, came to me because we live in this time and social network um, have such a big presence in our life. And I think it's just all I did is just been following my intuition um, without too much, too much of like second thought or too strict of a strategy. Right. And then uh, day one ventures, uh, your firm was sort of like a formalization of it sounds like what you were already doing with your PR work and your angel investing. And so just for a little bit of an introduction on that, you know, I think you launched it in 2018. You were 28, I believe, at the time. And at that time, I think there was 157 funds raised that year, and only two of them were female general partners. And you were not only just a female general partner, but a solo female general partner. So sort of like the most challenging version or most um, different version from the rest of the crowd on that sense. And yet you were able to raise $100 million, I think 50 and 50, like you said, but over time, $100 million. And um, I've had success in your first several years at day one, I think you've had six unicorns, 17 exits and an IPO investments, including WorldCoin, Remote.com, Superhuman, DuckDuckGo, Cabal, Do Not Pay, a bunch of other companies in um, some interesting spaces. So uh, I think the most the headline item from all of that to me is like, okay, so you're a solo GP, um, you're a woman in a field of mostly men, and you go out and you're able to raise $50 million and then another $50 million. What's sort of uh, your secret behind you know, how you're able to so successfully raise capital? Um, obviously, you had the angel investing track record and your background working uh, in VC at Runa. But even still, um, that's a lot of money for a first fund. Um, so how were you able to do it? I think first fund was actually 20. I think um, once I started trying angel investing and working for my companies that I put money in, I very quickly found that one, like I choose much better projects to work with. Two, I do much better work for them because I'm genuinely passionate. And also because I have done diligence on the companies I'm representing, which is strangely enough, but it's never included as you work as PR agent. I don't think there's like any PR agencies that ever saw data room of a company, right? So they teach some things they don't really fully understand and they didn't have enough data on as they were making decision on representing this company. So it just felt like more aligned. I felt more true to myself. I also like that um, same as founder, I would only get rewarded at the very end not rewarded for 
every like day work, but rewarded if I made the right bet and if I've done great work along all these years, which put me in the same boat with a founder and which make me genuine and empathetic to the founder, not only like by words, but actually by definition and by structure that enables it. And it was just like really it would be too mixed. Um, my PR business was really profitable. It was like upper, like close to 10 million in revenue in a short period of time. And it was a little bit like, I can tell it like cash cow, right? But on the same time, it was just like so misaligned and I saw the difference how much more uh, joy I get by angel investing in companies and supporting them versus charging clients big sums of money because I have high demand and then often like taking clients or big companies that can allow paycheck, but not really most exciting technology I've ever seen, right? And I just chose something that I feel more alignment and integrity with. And also I started getting so many people like asking me to invest money for them and asking me if I can take the check. So first fund was actually not 50, first was like 20. So we raised 20 also in three chapters. It didn't really go super smooth. It uh, started raising like 2017 and I very quickly accumulated almost um, 19 million. Then one of my big investors like had some personal thing and we had to delay close because uh, he was one of the biggest checks and some other things happened to other people. So at the end of the day, I closed it like very early in 2018, 11 million. And then I raised a little bit more and then a little bit more. So it ended up being 20. So I wouldn't say like first race. I was just like with first race, it was a vision. I knew that what we're creating is already unique. And my experiment with angel investing being prototype of it. So we've proven it. And I just knew that's what I want to do. And I started saying that it's the only thing I see myself doing career-wise to rest of my life. And I was meditating a lot at that time. I was actually getting lots of insight about like what kind of investor I want to be, what kind of people I want to pick. So I just truly saw it um, as a first job probably that it's just not like for the money. It's not, it's much more than that. And it's something that comes like very genuine to me. So I didn't really have a question to myself if I'm going to make it work or not. But I think very first race took at least eight months and uh, I closed it not at like 20 I closed it at 11 but uh, we still made it work and we still were able to make few very strong bets in the very beginning um, but right now that I look back um, at what I was doing and I'm thinking about like the first backers and I'm thinking about like wow like this is like really serious people like they have like these founders and they have this like um, pay, people from banking and these people like from Goldman and how did they even trusted me their money <laughs> because I just knew so much less that I know right now and I think it was like for them pure intuition pure faith and um, they wouldn't know for sure if I ever gonna not make profit but like if I ever gonna even return the money back and I'm just grateful that um, I met people who trust their gut enough and who were able to back me I really didn't think about being like female GP at that time I think this is something we kind of like found out later as um we saw like so much being written about female GPs and females in investing I never saw myself as like female fund manager I was just like always seeing myself as a fund manager uh same as like for myself I don't see myself as like solo GP I just see myself as GP who wants to do the best job for founders and best job for LPs so yeah no totally um I think 
it's that's but it was also helpful because i put like i put my own cash in that and then first i think first year and a half uh, of the fund life i had to fully sustain like fund financially because we only raised 11 million which barely like had enough to pay lawyers and (laughs) stuff like that and uh, i think i put maybe like between million and half or two million of my own cash just to kickstart the fund to be able to have enough of a team to have enough of resources and i don't think for many many years i didn't really pay any salary for myself so i took a little bit of risk compared to this uh, pr work that and pr studio work that i've been doing right well these people who uh you know followed their intuition or whatever it might have been and and uh invested in in your first fund uh that turned out to be a good move you guys returned the the first fund uh fully in three years which is again quite unusually successful um and i understand that that came from a uh i think an acquisition that you mentioned earlier for around 1.3 billion dollars uh that resulted somehow from a cold outreach on product hunt or something like that can you tell that story yeah yeah, I think, uh, as I said, we just saw Tribune on Product Hunt and reached out and they responded and we had a meeting and I kind of like committed very quickly. And I think for the first uh, three years working to maybe like for the first, because I invested in them first time 2017, I believe, so, uh, 16, I believe, as an angel and then from the fund 2018. So I think for the first like three years, as I knew them, it wasn't really hot company up until there was Series C led by Bessemer and then shortly after the next round led by Excel and then they got acquired in another six months, right? So, uh, but I think we had like another like 14 exits. They were like a bit smaller, but they also contributed and it was more than just like one X return fund. It was fund return plus profits and then for half of LPs who came in later in the fund one cycle, fund one life. They also like returned all money with profits in year and a half, so faster than three years. Um, but I think it's just been like I also think I just had like so much energy and so much passion and was so excited that I was like forgetting to sleep. And first year I started the fund some date and I hosted sixty events in my own house from like twelve people dinners to two hundred people crowd. Uh, my poor ex roommate. Uh, so it was just like I just put like all my energy in and it was truly excited about doing it then it truly felt like a first company i would dream to build because my first business second business kind of like came together more by accident and just because people needed some service from me but not because i just had this vision and wanted to have this vision come together but i think if you speak about like creating like fund and uh, like what makes sense i think it's uh, like Paul Graham said about the company like make like 100 customers happy that would be your start. And I think for any emerging fund manager and new fund manager, that's the only way to say about it. Can you like find 100 amazing, top, best, uh, strongest founders um, at any time, given time, and then make 100 founders happy? And I think if you take, uh, this is a really hard job because all these people, they have very high standards. They have different industries. They have different culture and different approach and it's kind of like combination being enough uh professional enough fast but also enough flexible to be able to make 100 founders happy with you as an investor and partner right and i think a lot of uh investors you know they'll claim that they have uh this value add and that value add but at the end of the day i mean they are investing money which is sort of the the key 
thing that that, invest, the, that the investor is there for. Um, but then it's sort of expected these days for very successful companies that are looking very promising early on. It's like, okay, the investor, you're giving us the money and what else? Like, are you giving us your brand name or are you giving us help with recruiting or whatever it might be? And a lot of firms will offer a lot of this stuff, but what differentiates you or seems to differentiate you is that it's just, I mean, you're high energy and you'll help with whatever you can and everything like that, that a lot of firms will do. But the one big thing that is very different and very uh, specialized is that you will help very actively on the PR and communications front. And so like you guys write about, you know, you've secured press coverage for portfolio companies and over 200 articles across all of these mainstream uh, news outlets. Um, how do you like, what's your actual process? How did you, obviously this came from your background with starting the agency, but, um, for like, you know, you know, those books that are like, whatever it is for dummies or, um, you know, just sort of like, what are the key, um, fundamentals of how you were able to build this ability to get great press coverage for your portfolio companies and to work with them on, you know, what the messaging should be for those uh, press coverage? Um, I think like first, Trevor, is just like about um, how to you help companies and is it you only investing money? I truly believe that money, even in our time when there are lots of parts of the market that just missing liquidity and it's hard to raise capital. I think in any given time, best tech founders would always have abundance of the money and would have lots of option uh, to uh, raise capital so when you invest in companies early you basically buy their shares at the best price possible and you have to justify it and i think for best founders money is really commodity so the most important is what comes with this money one thing i figured out i think it's much better to uh, if you help founders with something you should be helping with the things that you best at i don't believe you can be best at many disciplines i don't um and i think all vc firms in equal way, offer all the founders help with strategy, help with recruiting, help with fundraising. So we just wouldn't like go for something that's so commoditized and that everyone else offers. But I think the main innovation is really that we take uh, operational approach, that we take so much work on ourselves. Uh, so basically, the process looks that we start with like clarifying the messaging of the company and we cut off all unnecessary parts that PR agencies usually do because. Lots of uh, PR agency work is just proving that clients that they're doing the work and lots of that just simply like in assets. We simplified all these processes. Founders need to spend like around half an hour going and through Q&A and we draft messaging doc from this Q&A. When we draft messaging doc, it's a process where uh, both investment team and PR team is involved. And I think it's key because this way we uh, finding um, the right way to put company in the map to highlight their strengths, to explain why this market is exciting, why this company is a winner on this particular market, how do they stand out from competitors. And uh, this messaging work have like a lot like business heavy approach, not PR heavy approach too. In strategy side, we always think about why reporters would write about this particular company at a certain period of time. So we try to identify what's happening with the company that would be truly newsworthy. We respect our media context. So we try to not go to them with something that's just not worth the attention. And we try to do as much as homework as we do to prepare the news and the shape that they need to do very little work in order to 
get it published. So we also very much focused on top tier media outlets because most of the media that touts it doesn't really move a needle for the company. And we try to find outlets and places which will both influence revenue growth, but also uh, raise brand recognition and will create uh, the right understanding about company on the market from early on. So we try to identify what are the newsworthy moments that's happening with the company in the next few months that will land them story in top tier media outlets, which will maximize chances of this company having skyrocketing growth from this publication. We always think about um, what makes like more sense with business, how we uh, use PR to solve particular business goals and being like very clear on these business goals. And then we do all work uh, finding out the right reporters, approaching them, media training founder, making sure our reporter is writing the story. Um, I think the main innovation here is really like our ability to take all this load of work on ourselves, but make it like extremely easy for the founder. I never want to work with any founder who would choose to work with Dave on, on PR side just because it's free. I often tell that we try to create the products that just the best on the market and something that founders would pay if they could. And at the same time, make it like very, very easy decision for the founder to commit to this investment. So that's why we don't use like any advisory shares. We don't ask founder to compensate us in any ways for this PR work we're doing. And we're very straightforward about like committing to long-term success and being able to benefit from this work only if we succeed as long-term. Because I think that's something, this aligned incentive, something that really like a core of um, successful partnership. So, but we're not trying to just give like PR, free PR work. We're trying to provide the best value and this best value come from us approaching any story from business perspective and thinking about business side of things rather than PR side of things. We would never make any PR decision you know, sacrificing any business part. And I think as you investor and shareholder in the company, you much better think about companies in this way. So when it comes, when company has a media crisis, when company deciding if they need coverage or not, we would never put interest of PR team and uh, PR work um, above the interest of the company overall. And I think by definition, you can think about it this way only when you're a true shareholder. Yeah, one thing that's interesting related to this is like when you told your story at the beginning, you talked about how social media networks have played like such an important role um, in your story and, and development and career. And when you talk about PR, it sounds like a lot of it is working with, um, you know, some of the premier outlets, uh, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, whatever you, you know, TechCrunch, which, whatever it might be. Um, but the media landscape has changed a bit over, you know, the last 10 years or so, which you've been sort of front and center and very much a part of, uh, where, you know, Twitter didn't exist however many years ago. Um, there's all sorts of like basic podcasts didn't really exist. There's all sorts of ways now to sort of go direct to the audience and build your own following and your own sort of media outlet, personal media outlet in a sense, or company media um, following and everything like this versus in the past where you sort of had to go through these major outlets. So how has that... Um, you know, shifting landscape factored into the way that you think about press for your companies? Um, or do you still believe, you know, do you encourage people to go direct more often or than, than you used to? Or do you still think that 
the major outlets are super important. How do you think about that sort of? Uh, I think it's always about combination and the best campaigns we've done for some of our portfolio companies generated them 200, 300,000 um, visitors on the first day of the launch. And it was exactly campaigns when we combined media with social media. I don't think it's like one in another. Media does give you sort of stamp of approval, importance and credibility. And there are like still lots of audience, um, consumer audience and customers and investors that will be reached by media. I don't think media completely died out. I do think media is just not the only thing that we're reading this day. So I think the best combination comes when you do strong media work and the message is clear and the message is delivered and it's top tier media outlet that everyone respects together with in addition to that strong push and using all resources in your community to push a story in social media and craft a proper story about uh, how companies started and what is the origin and having brand presence so i just don't think it's speaking like one or another i think it's about combining both and i think the further we go, the more importance of their content production and thought leadership and social media will be for the founders. It's definitely like one of the advantages that early stage founders can create for themselves, just being present in social network, generating content, sharing expertise on a regular basis. And um, I don't think it's one or another. And this is something we also advise founders on. And we advise them, but we also try to inspire them with our own example and by highlighting best examples on portfolio. And many founders now, particularly, we not only um, started doing media work for them, but we also inspired to be more active on Twitter, to be more active on LinkedIn, to share the expertise with broad audience across different channels. So I don't think it's a choice anymore. And it's interesting because I ran uh, my first job in was like running um, social media agency and then later I ran media agencies. So I think all time in Korea, I will be combining both of the verticals, but it's also like touches a bit um, another question and channels that we've been thinking a lot about. And uh, we've been working with media for so many years and we realized that um, there are a few important things. And I think um, what's important right now is that there is like increasing gap between tech and society. On the one hand, we have a lot of innovation and invention in AI, in biotech, in autonomous space. And um, on the other hand, we have society and people resisting AI, resisting biotech, resisting vaccines, resisting self-driving cars, drones, whatever is new, right? And um, I think it's um, something, if you think about building generational companies that would change the world and impact lives, billions of people, you would always face with, you would always face society, right? And I think what startups should understand, they should do the work with publicity from the day zero. And um, I, we were working with media for such a long time and seeing like them as the main channel to deliver particular view on the company and company future, industry futures through media channels. But one of the inventions that we've started experimenting with over the last two years, uh, we started connecting tech companies with artists. We sort of by accident noticed how much artists, um, how many crowds artists brought when they discovered Web3, and um, I think we all remember how in 2020, artists started using crypto and started using Web3 technology to showcase some of their works, and NFT appeared, and um, artists drove new wave of mass adoption for crypto. And then we saw in 2022 how 
OpenAI launched DALI and then artists started using DALI to create completely new artworks using AI. And it's also drove masses um, and increased mass adoption of AI technology. And um, we started looking back on the history and noticed how in Renaissance art and technology was together. We discovered that in Bell Labs, they had art residences. So if you look like back in the history of art and technology, they were always close by. And we realized that artist is another um, agent of influence on society that can drive mass adoption for the innovative technologies that our companies are creating. And we had like a few, um, we had a few different drops and few different projects that we've done in this direction that went very well and that were very successful. And it's one of the directions that we're looking to explore in the next two, three years. Um, connecting tech companies with artists and using artists' help and creativity uh, in understanding how the technology that's been invented by our companies could be used. Great. So you mentioned uh, OpenAI and the exhibit that you did uh, or that you helped organize with uh, DALI, you know, combining tech and art. Uh, obviously, Sam Altman is the uh, founder over there, one of the co-founders. Another company that he's co-founder of is uh, one that you've invested in called WorldCoin. I actually had uh, Alex Blania, the other co-founder on the podcast previously, really interesting company. Uh, and I understand you have sort of an interesting story of how you got involved there in the first place and uh, how that became one of your uh, earliest investments with the fund. Yeah, um, uh, it was really like um, a very meaningful story for us because we learned so much by working with WorldCoin and with Alex and Sam. Um, we I met Sam, uh, I met Alex first time uh, in 2019 and I got the message in social network and Alex was applying for some particular competition and he was, I think, considering that I'm a jury in this competition and he was basically telling that he's quantum physicist using AI to manage quantum systems and he wants to be a founder and he would love to, uh, he said, I'm ready to fly to meet for coffee whenever you'd like to meet in the world, something like that. And I found it very genuine. And I took a call with him and he was incredibly smart. I asked two friends, quantum physicists, to chat with him. And they proved me that he understands his subject really well. And I asked um, Alex what he wants uh, and what he wants to do with his life. He was very clear. He said that he wants to be Silicon Valley founder. It sounded interesting. <laughs> I said, uh, well, Silicon Valley, like, have you been to Silicon Valley? He said, no. I said, have you been to yours? He said, no. I said, well, you can definitely come and i'm happy to host you in guest room in my house and introduce you to a few friends so a few weeks after he for the first time came to san francisco he was at that time studying at um, mark's planka and um he started meeting people and met a lot of people and i think through like chain of events he met um max who is another co-founder of WorldCoin, and uh, then he met sam he got involved there as CTO, then as co-founder, then as CEO uh, who runs the company. And then I saw Alex, um, who was 24 when I met, and he was, I believe, 27, 28 at the time when WorldCoin hit $3 billion in value. I saw one of their, uh, the fastest um, foundry journeys I've seen in my life and being quite close to that and just seeing what Alex has to overcome and how quickly he needs to grow was really unique experience for me as a friend and also as an investor. And uh, over the next like few, this few years, we were able to also help them um, recruit some of their first team members. I believe at least few people, maybe like six, seven people in his core team is um, 
someone I knew in the past who I introduced to Alex. We were working a lot on a few of their fundraisers. We helped them to launch the company uh, for the first time in 2000, um, end of 2020. And just been like involved in lots of like smaller decisions, um, brainstorms. Um, and it's been really interesting to see. I'm a huge believer in Alex. While I always knew that he's incredible and smart and unique person and founder, I think he overestimated um, everyone's expectations. Like he really achieved much more than we all expected. And on the same time, he has so much passion and drive and um, he's so quickly grown. I think um, it's just the beginning of um, what Alex could be and what WorldCoin could be. I think um, many people who backed WorldCoin, but also lots of people who didn't back WorldCoin see that um, WorldCoin is probably the only crypto project right now that can truly create uh, something as big as Bitcoin or Ethereum. And um, I think there are all kinds of talks about the company, but this project is incredibly meaningful for crypto adoption. I think it's incredibly meaningful for the world and for the ways how technology can lead world to um, higher, uh, make world more fair and more equitable for everyone. And I think right now that when ChatGPT came out, it became obvious why proof of humanness is so important and why we need a new device and new technology and new ways to verify humanness. Um, that wasn't such a big challenge before we saw this expansion of AI that we saw this year. Yeah, it's a very interesting project and uh, obviously super impressive start in terms of how many uh, people they've been able to touch around the world with uh, their technology just in a, a couple of short years. And I know they raised, uh, I think, $115 million Series C just a couple of months ago in May um, as a result of this sort of early signs of progress. So excited to uh, see how all of that turns out. But I uh, tend to agree with you that I'm, I'm pretty um, optimistic on the project and, and on Alex's abilities uh, after having spoke with him. Um, so last question as we're coming up on time, but, uh, you sort of mentioned earlier that you have, uh, a bit of a, a vision for, um, for your firm and sort of, uh, you know, what you, what you've done so far is just sort of the beginning and, and you see a lot more in store for day one ventures. I would love if you could sort of share, um, sort of your five or 10 year vision or, or roadmap for, uh, what you're, you know, how you're expecting to grow and, and develop from here. I think it's like really connected with a few beliefs that I created uh, by this time. And I think one of the beliefs I really care about um, lots of the problems that humanity is facing right now, that's right from inequality to climate to hunger and many other things. And I do learn to, I do really gain conviction that one of the most world most pressing problems will be solved by uh, tech entrepreneurs, not by politicians, not by activists, not by um, anyone, but by tech founders. And I do really see my role and mission in helping tech entrepreneurs to solve all digest problems and create massive opportunities for humanity. And I think one of the major problems that uh, founders facing if they're shooting for this big vision and solving big problems, they really face um, a lot of resistance from society. They just doesn't trust new technology and need time to digest and explain. And I believe that the work on explaining technology, importance of technology they're creating to society should be happening from day zero as early as company just appeared. And I would love to build this bridge 
that help tech companies that solving world's biggest problems to explain to society what they're doing from early on. And I do think this explanation work is happening through three agents of influence. And first agent is media. And the work with media is something we've been doing for so many years and we have a clear process and we have a clear results on this. And um, I'm happy to have that it's run very smoothly and we have a framework and we do this work really well. I think second work is just work with artists and for fund three, my plan is to explore how we can connect tech companies with artists and how can we craft a repeatable playbook for um, and could do it as good as we do the work with media. And I think third is like all companies um, at some point they face like that they need to work with regulators. And it's again like the field when they already start doing the work the better and um, the more useful for the company. But this is something I would probably start exploring and testing with Fund4 just so we can um, craft clear play, uh, playbook for uh, for the second um, agents of influence on society. So I think if you're able to connect and identify meaningful people to speak with, to, for tech founders to speak with from media, from art and culture, and then from... Um, from regulator, you create a very important foundation for companies' long-term growth and success, and you prevent them from overcoming lots of obstacles as company reaching a sizable scale, becoming multi-billion worth. Um, because what very often happens that when companies reach really big size and uh, already in the process of realizing their mission, they face so much resistance from society that this resistance become a reason why a project doesn't succeed or don't become as big as it could be. And we want to build this bridge that tech companies and tech founders use early on. And I don't think anyone in VC is doing something like that. It's just something that came to us mostly through existing work, through observation and through seeing what the best founders need right now. But something where we keep using our core principles, where we will do everything we do will be oriented on creating um, a synergy uh, which is full of uh, which um, will be high integrity and where we make sure that whatever partnership, whatever structure, whatever introduction we made that benefit all parts um, that this introduction involves, all, all parts of this project is involved. And I think all this work um, is something that we really do as additional value add. It's something that founders and companies don't have to spend lots of uh, like don't have to spend any financial resource and don't have to spend lots of the time where they have believed them making the perfect matchmaking would be something that we do it on day one side. But uh, while it all should be very smooth and clear and easy for the founders, this all requires lots of clear defined processes of our end. And this part I see as like day one product and something that um, day one gives in addition to investment and something that hasn't been crafted before. And I see our job as uh, being like a good product managers of this product and just crafting something that um, no one else have for the founders we work with. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for, for sharing that vision and uh, looking forward to seeing how it plays out in, in the years to come. Um, I know we are up on time, so I want to thank you, Masha, for taking the time. And it's been uh, great talking with you. You have a fascinating story. I know we uh, focused mainly on the uh, fund today, but also the PR work with the agency before mm -hmm. that and 
head of comms and your days as an activist. It's just a very interesting story. So appreciate you coming on and uh, and great talking with you and uh, hope to keep Thank in touch. You. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for the great chat, Jake.